From Creation Ministries International, you're listening to Creation.com's article podcast. The research and insights that give God the glory, refutes evolution, and gives you the answers to defend your faith. I'm Joseph Darnell. 2013 was the 60th anniversary of the discovery of the double helix structure of DNA. Its discoverers, James Watson, Francis Crick, and Maurice Wilkins, won the Nobel Prize for Physiology and Medicine in 1962 for their discovery. The amazing design and complexity of living things provides strong evidence for a creator. We know from the Bible that God rested from, that is, finished, his creative work after day six, and now sustains his creation. So, how do complex living creatures arise today? DNA Marvelous Messages, or Mostly Mess? Written by Dr. Jonathan Sarfati. One aspect of this sustenance is that God has programmed the recipe for all these creatures on the famous double helix molecule DNA. This recipe has an enormous information content, which is transmitted one generation to the next, so that living things reproduce after their kinds. Leading atheistic evolutionist Richard Dawkins admits, There is enough information capacity in a single human cell to store the Encyclopedia Britannica, all 30 volumes of it, three or four times over. Just as the Britannica had intelligent writers to produce its information, it is reasonable and even scientific to believe that the information in the living world likewise had an original compositor and sender. There is no known non-intelligent cause that has ever been observed to generate even a small portion of the literally encyclopedic information required for life. The genetic code is not an outcome of raw chemistry, but of elaborate decoding machinery in the ribosome. Remarkably, this decoding machinery is itself encoded in the DNA, and the noted philosopher of science Sir Karl Popper pointed out, Thus the code cannot be translated except by using certain products of the translation. This constitutes a baffling circle, a really vicious circle it seems, for any attempt to form a model or theory of the genesis of the genetic code. So, such a system must be fully in place before it could work at all, a property called irreducible complexity. This means that it is impossible to be built by natural selection working on small changes. DNA is by far the most compact information storage system in the universe. Even the simplest known living organism has 482 protein-coding genes. This is a total of 580,000 letters. Humans have 3 billion in every nucleus. The amount of information that could be stored in a penhead's volume of DNA is equivalent to a pile of paperback books 500 times as high as the distance between Earth to the Moon each with a different yet specific content. Putting it another way, while we think that our new 1TB solid-state drives are advanced technology, a pinhead of DNA could hold a hundred million times more information. We won't read the whole of the human genome in today's article, but just a heads up, it's going to get complex. So put your thinking cap on, and try to keep up. I'm sure you can do it. The letters of DNA have another vital property due to their structure, which allows information to be transmitted. A pairs only with T, and C only with G, due to the chemical structures of the bases. 
the pair is like a rung or step on a spiral staircase. This means that the two strands of the double helix can be separated, and new strands can be formed that copy the information exactly. The new strand carries the same information as the old one, but instead of being like a photocopy, it is in a sense like a photographic negative. The copying is far more precise than pure chemistry could manage, only about one mistake in 10 billion copyings, because there is editing, proofreading, and error-checking machinery, again encoded in the DNA. But how would the information for editing machinery be transmitted accurately before the machinery was in place? Lest it be argued that the accuracy could be achieved stepwise through selection, note that a high degree of accuracy is needed to prevent error catastrophe the accumulation of noise in the form of junk proteins. Again, there is a vicious circle, more irreducible complexity. Also, even the choice of the letters A, T, G, and C now seems to be based on minimizing error. Evolutionists usually suppose that these letters happen to be the ones in the alleged primordial soup, but research shows that C, which is cytosine, is extremely unlikely to have been present in any such soup. Rather, Donnell McDonnell of Trinity College Dublin suggests that the letter choices like the advanced error-checking systems that are incorporated into ISBNs on books, credit card numbers, bank accounts, and airline tickets. Any alternatives would suffer error catastrophe. Many evolutionists claim that the DNA code is universal, that this is proof of a common ancestor, but this is false. There are exceptions, some known since the 1970s. An example is paramecium, where a few of the 64 possible codons code for different amino acids. More examples are being found constantly. Also, some organisms code for one or two amino acids beyond the main 20 types. But if one organism evolved into another from a different code, all the messages already encoded would be scrambled, just as written messages would be jumbled if keyboard keys were switched. This is a huge problem for the evolution of one code into another. Also, in our cells we have power plants, called mitochondria, with their own genes. It turns out that they have a slightly different genetic code, too. Certainly most of the code is universal, but this is best explained by common design. One creator. Of all the millions of genetic codes possible, ours, or something almost like it, is optimal for protecting against errors. But the created exceptions thwart attempts to explain the organisms by common ancestry evolution. DNA is not read directly, but first the cell makes a negative copy in a very similar molecule called RNA, a process called transcription. But in all organisms other than most bacteria, there is more to transcription. This RNA, reflecting the DNA, contains regions called exons that code for proteins, and non-coding regions called introns. So the introns are removed and the exons are spliced together to form the messenger RNA that is finally decoded to form the protein. This also requires elaborate machinery called a spliceosome. This is assembled on the intron, chops it out at the right place, and joins the exons together. This must be in the right direction and place because it makes a huge difference if the exon is joined even one letter off. Thus, partly formed splicing machinery would be harmful, so natural selection would work against it. Richard Roberts and Philip Sharp won the 1993 Nobel Prize in Physiology and Medicine for discovering introns in 1977. 
It turns out that 97-98% to 98 of the genome may be introns and other non-coding sequences, but this raises the question of why introns exist at all. We now know that there is a splicing code, which you can learn more about in related articles at creation.com in this episode's links and show notes. Dawkins and others have claimed that this non-coding DNA is junk, or selfish DNA. Supposedly, no intelligent designer would use such an inefficient system. Therefore, it must have evolved, they argue. This parallels the 19th century claim that about a hundred vestigial organs exist in the human body, that is, allegedly useless remnants of our evolutionary history. But more enlightened evolutionists, such as Scatting, pointed out the argument is logically invalid because it is impossible, in principle, to prove that an organ has no function. Rather, it could have a function we don't know about. Scatting also reminds us that, as our knowledge has increased, the list of vestigial structures has decreased. While Dawkins has often claimed that belief in a creator is a cop-out, it's claims of vestigial or junk status that are actually cop-outs. Such claims hindered research into the vital function of allegedly vestigial organs, and they do the same with non-coding DNA. Actually, even if evolution were true, the notion that the introns are useless is absurd. Why would more complex organisms evolve such elaborate machinery to splice them? Rather, natural selection would favor organisms that did not have to waste resources processing a genome filled with 98% junk. And there have been many uses discovered for so-called junk DNA, such as the overall genome structure and regulation of genes. Some creationists believe that this DNA has a role in rapid post-flood diversification of the kinds of animals on board the Ark. Some non-coding RNAs, called microRNAs, seem to regulate the production of proteins coded in other genes, and seem to be almost identical in humans, mice, and zebrafish. Recent sequencing of the mice genome surprised researchers, and led to headlines such as, Junk DNA contains essential information. They found that 5% of the genome was basically identical, but only 2% of that was actual genes. So they reasoned that the other 3% must also be identical for a reason. The researchers believe that 3% probably has a crucial role in determining the behavior of the actual genes. For example, the order in which they are switched on. Also, damage to introns can be disastrous. In one example, deleting four letters in the center of an intron prevented the spliceosome from binding to it, resulting in the intron being included. Mutations in introns also interfere with imprinting, the process by which only certain genes from the mother or father are expressed, not both. Expression of both genes results in a variety of diseases and cancers. Another intriguing discovery is that DNA can conduct electrical signals as far as 60 letters, enough to code for 20 amino acids. This is a typical length for molecular switches that turn on adjoining genes. Theoretically, the electrical signals could travel indefinitely. However, single or multiple pairings between A and T stop the signals. That is, they are insulators or electronic hinges in a circuit. So, although these particular regions don't code for proteins, they may protect essential genes from electrical damage from free radicals attacking a distant part of the DNA. So, times have changed. Alexander Huttenhofer of the University of Munster, Germany says, 
Five or six years ago, people said we were wasting our time. Today, no one regards people studying non-coding DNA as time wasters. Actually, DNA is far more complicated than simply coding for proteins, as we are discovering all the time. That's coming up after the break. The field of biology focuses on living things, from the smallest microscopic protozoa to the largest mammal. In the book Exploring the World of Biology, you will read and explore the life of plants, insects, spiders and other arachnids, life in water, reptiles, birds, and mammals that highlight God's amazing creation. Among many subjects, you will learn about the following. How does biological classification give each different type of plant or animal a unique name? In what ways are seeds spread around the world? What food does the body use for long-term storage of energy? How did biologists learn how the stomach digested food? What plant gave an inventor the idea for Velcro? For most of history, biologists used the visible appearance of plants or animals to classify them. They grouped plants or animals with similar-looking features into families. Starting in the 1990s, biologists have extracted DNA and RNA from cells as a guide to how plants or animals should be grouped. Like visual structures, they reveal the underlying design of creation. Exploring the world of biology is a fascinating look at life. From the smallest proteins and spores to the complex life systems of humans and animals. And it's available at creation.com store. As I was saying, DNA is far more complicated than simply coding for proteins, as we are discovering all the time. For example, because the DNA letters are read in groups of three, it makes a huge difference which letters you start from. For example, the simple yet complex sequence GTTCAACGCTGAA, which could go even further, can be read from the first letter GTTCAA. CGC, PGA, A, and so on, but a totally different protein will result from starting with the second letter, PTC, AAC, GCT, GAA. You get the idea. Think of it like punctuated sequences, creating varied stops and new beginnings. This means that DNA can be an even more compact information storage system. This partly explains the surprising finding of the Human Genome Project that there are only about 35,000 genes, when humans can manufacture over 100,000 proteins. Dr. John Maddock of the University of Queensland in Brisbane, Australia has published a number of papers arguing that the non-coding DNA regions, or rather the non-coding RNA negatives, are important components of a complicated genetic network. These interact with each other, the DNA, microRNA, and the proteins. Maddock proposes that the introns function as nodes, linking points in the network. The introns provide many extra connections, enabling what in computer terminology would be called multitasking and parallel processing. In organisms, this network could control the order in which genes are switched on and off. This means that a tremendous variety of multicellular life could be produced by rewiring the network. In contrast, early computers were like simple organisms, very cleverly designed but programmed for one task at a time. The older computers were very inflexible, requiring a complete redesign of the network to change anything. Likewise, single-celled organisms such as bacteria can also afford to be inflexible, because they don't have to develop as many-celled creatures do. 
Maddox suggests that the new system somehow evolved, despite the irreducible complexity, and in turn enabled the evolution of many complex living things from simple organisms. However, the same evidence is better interpreted from a biblical framework. This system can indeed enable multicellular organisms to develop from a simple cell. But this is a fertilized egg. This makes more sense. The fertilized egg has all the programming in place for all the information for a complex life form to develop from an embryo. It is also an example of good design economy pointing to a single designer as opposed to many. In contrast, the first simple cell to allegedly evolve to complex splicing machinery would have no introns needing splicing. But Maddock might be partly right about diversification of life. Creationists also believe that life diversified after the flood. However, this diversification involved no new information. Some creationists have proposed that certain parts of currently non-coding DNA could have enabled faster diversification, and Maddox's theory could provide still another mechanism. A severe critic of Maddox's theory at the National Research Institute in Marseille, France, said something very revealing. I don't think much of this work. In general, all these global ideas don't travel very far because they fail to take into account the most basic principle of biology. Things arose by the additive addition of evolution of tiny subsystems, not by global design. It is perfectly possible that one intron in one given gene might have evolved by chance some regulatory property. It is utterly improbable that all genes might have acquired introns for the future property of regulating expression. Okay. Two points to note. This agrees that if the Entron system really is an advanced operating system, it really would be irreducibly complex, because evolution could not build it stepwise. And it illustrates the role of materialistic assumptions behind evolution. Usually, atheists such as Dawkins use evolution as proof for their faith. In reality, evolution is deduced from their assumption of materialism. For example, Richard Lewontin wrote, we have a prior commitment, a commitment to materialism. Moreover, that materialism is absolute, for we cannot allow a divine foot in the door. And Scott Todd said, Even if all the data point to an intelligent designer, such an hypothesis is excluded from science because it is not naturalistic. Similarly, while many use junk DNA as proof of evolution, the researcher at the National Research Institute in France is using the assumption of evolution as proof of its junkiness. This is again a parallel with vestigial organs. In reality, evolution was used as a proof of vestigiality and hindered research into their function. This attitude could likewise hinder research into the networking capacity of non-coding DNA. Information is a measure of the complexity of the arrangement of parts of a storage medium and doesn't depend on what parts are arranged. For instance, the printed page stores information via the 26 letters of the alphabet, which are arrangements of ink molecules on paper. But the information is not contained in the letters themselves. Even a translation into another language, even those with a different alphabet, need not change the information, but simply the way it is presented. However, a computer hard drive stores information in a totally different way, an array of magnetic on or off patterns on a disk. And again, the information is in the patterns, the arrangement, not the magnetic substance. 
totally different media can carry exactly the same information. An example is this article you're listening to. The information is exactly the same as the article on the website and that on my computer's hard drive. But my hard drive looks vastly different from this page and from the sound waves you're listening to. In DNA, the information is stored as sequences of four types of DNA bases, A, C, G, and T. In one sense, they could be called chemical letters because they store information in an analogous way to printed letters. There are huge problems for evolutionists explaining how the letters alone could come from a primordial soup. But even if this was solved, it would be as meaningless as getting a bowl of alphabet soup. The letters must then link together in the face of chemistry trying to break them apart. Most importantly, the letters must be arranged correctly to have any meaning for life. A group codon of three DNA letters codes for one protein letter called an amino acid, and the conversion is called translation. Since even one mistake in a protein can be catastrophic, it's important to decode correctly. Think again about a written language. It is only useful if the reader is familiar with the language. For example, a reader must know that the letter sequence CAT codes for a furry pet with retractable claws. But consider the sequence GIFT. In English, it means a present. But in German, it means poison. Understandably, during the post-September 11th anthrax scare, some German postal workers were very reluctant to handle packages marked gift. So, what have we learned today? Well, let's sum it all up. One, junk DNA, or rather DNA, that doesn't directly code for proteins is not evidence for evolution. Rather, its alleged junkiness is a deduction from the false assumption of evolution. Just because no function is known, it doesn't mean there is no function. Many uses have been found for this non-coding DNA. There is good evidence that this has an essential role as part of an elaborate genetic network. This could have a crucial role in the development of many-celled creatures from a single fertilized egg, and also for the post-flood diversification. For example, a canine kind giving rise to dingoes, wolves, or coyotes. The Creation Article Podcast is hosted by me, Joseph Darnell, and produced out of the U.S. studio of Creation Ministries International. Learn more at creation.com. This episode was written by Dr. Jonathan Sarfati. Our writers and scientists host a really cool talk show called Creation.com Talk, which you can find right here in your podcast app and YouTube. If you would like to help us, become a monthly supporter using our donate page, or simply text a donation to 84321. You can also help out by telling your family and friends to check out our podcasts and creation.com. Be sure to follow Creation Ministries International on Facebook and Instagram, and subscribe to our free e-newsletter, InfoBytes. From everyone at creation.com, thanks for listening.